Well, this is the uh, Pioneer Hill Cemetery. Um, the old cemetery, we call it in Raymond Terrace. Um, goes back to some of the early settlement dates. And, and probably you're thinking this is a pretty strange place to begin a sermon. A pretty, pretty bizarre place to start a preaching series but I've found that taking a walk in an old cemetery is a pretty good way to put some of life into perspective. I mean, you, you take a walk around here, you look at some of the, the old gravestones and the ones that you can still read. Um, there's a birth date and a date on which the person died. And I like to look at them and... And in that brief inscription in stone is an entire life lived that I know nothing about, really. That person may have been wildly successful, one of the early pioneers who opened up this area, a successful businessmen or women. Maybe they were wealthy. Maybe they were poor. Maybe they had no human success to speak about and they'll be forgotten in history but as I walk around old graveyards like this it is a stark reminder that no matter what life you've lived well this is the great leveler isn't it no matter what life you live one day you and I This is where we'll be. And it leaves me wondering, what's the point? What's the point of life? What's the point of death? What's the point of living? What's the point of working, of loving, of earning? What's the point of any of it? Graveyards are good places to ask those sorts of questions. We're starting a new series in the book of Ecclesiastes, which I believe the, the writer, more than likely Solomon, is going to help us to wrestle with that question really well. What's the point? What, what really is life about? What are the priorities? What should we watch out for? And so as we begin the series, I thought it would be a, a fitting place for us to start asking those questions. What's the point? Because gravestones like these, uh, a cemetery like this one, it does remind us starkly of death, but it also points to something about a life lived. Um, you might live in Raymond Terrace or somewhere else, but I can guarantee you there'll be a cemetery somewhere close by. There are hundreds of thousands of them. Because ever since the dawn of human history, ever since Adam and Eve first took that bite of disobedience, death has reigned. We all end up here. And, and maybe that's something you don't like thinking about, but... 
the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is going to ask us to wrestle with this. What's the point? I mean, as I start thinking about death, my mind goes back to the very first death in human history. Do you remember who that was? It was Adam and Eve's son, right? Abel. I mean, even his life is its fascinating to consider, as brief as it was. Right from the very beginning, we have to wrestle with the question, what's the point? Because there were two sons, remember? There was uh, Abel and Cain. Both sons had grown up hearing the stories of their parents about what it was like to walk in the garden unhindered with God. What it was like to walk in fellowship with him. What it was like to, to live in the enjoyment and fullness of his blessing. But now they weren't. Sin had entered the world. Adam and Eve had been ejected from Eden. And now these two boys are growing up in the aftermath of the curse. But yet they were hearing the stories of their parents. And eventually the time comes for both Cain and Abel to bring their worship to God. To bring their offering to God. We read in the scriptures that Abel brought an offering that was pleasing to the Lord. He brought what he knew about God and what he knew was right for God. And he brought the first fruits of his flock and he brought an offering of a lamb. And God was pleased. And Cain didn't. And God was displeased with Cain. And jealousy entered the relationship. And you remember this story, I'm sure. The first death in human history was recorded by a jealous brother who turned his hand against his brother and Cain killed Abel. That doesn't make sense, right? Isn't it supposed to be that if you do good things, if you act with good and righteous acts, then aren't good and righteous things meant to happen to you? I mean, if we honour God, shouldn't God honour us? Shouldn't the, the righteous inherit the world? And yet right from the outset of human history, we are confronted with this reality that sometimes, well, sometimes it doesn't work out the way that we think it ought to. There are good people, it seems, And bad things happen to them. Abel, who was righteous and did a good thing and to please the Lord, and yet he's slain and his life is cut short. And Cain, the one who displeases God, goes on to live a long life with children. And he begins and establishes cities. And God even says, I will protect you in your wanderings. So that no one will harm you. What are we meant to do with that? A good man was cut down and an evil man prospered. It seems like meaningless. It seems vanity. It seems like it just doesn't make sense. And it leaves us asking the question, what's the point? 
I want to begin this series and this first message of it by bookending from the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, just the first couple of verses, says this, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. ESV says vanity of vanities. Maybe your translation says everything is meaningless. Well, that's what we want to wrestle with. We want to wrestle with what does it mean to ask these sorts of questions in life and to ask them of God. Because I don't think God is shy with us coming to ask these questions. I'm going to go and have a walk through this cemetery and have a look around. It's good for me to put things into perspective a little bit. But we're going to continue looking at this probably tomorrow. The sun is just starting to set now. But tomorrow I'll, um, I'll keep reading. And we're going to look at the beginning of this book and we're going to look at the, the very last words of this book. And we're going to try and make sense of where the writer is going to lead us over the next little while as we look at this series. Absolute futility. Something we're thinking about. Well, yesterday afternoon I was uh, speaking to you from Pioneer Hill Cemetery, the old cemetery in Roman Terrace. Well, this morning I've come out and I've uh, found a nice little quiet spot on the river and uh, unfortunately there's a, a bridge just nearby, so we'll hear a few cars going past. But it's a, it's a nice spot. And I thought, uh, let's continue our considerations on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, to do that, I want to make just two observations, really, about chapter 1. And then we're going to just swing over to the end of the book, because I think it's really important for us to understand that we're really going to struggle with this book unless we keep in mind the final verses um, and we'll get to that shortly. Let's read. I'm going to read again from the Christian Standard Bible from Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It says this, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labours at? under the sun a generation goes and a generation comes but the earth remains forever the sun rises the sun sets panting it returns to its place where it rises again gusting to the south turning to the north turning turning goes the wind and the wind returns and it cycles all the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. 
And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before us. And of those who will come after, there will also be no new remembrance by those who follow them. Make a couple of observations about that. As we open up the book of Ecclesiastes, the the teacher, Solomon, he's by now an older man, full of wisdom and insight into the world around him. And yet, listen to what he has to say. Listen to the, the tone. What he's driving at here is that as we consider what we do from, from the advantage point of this world at least. So go back and have a look at number uh, verse, verse 3. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Uh, Solomon's very much... Uh, driving us to be looking at the world around us and, and looking at it from the perspective that we sit in. Here we are, living out our lives on this planet with all its beauty and all its frustrations. And he makes a very keen observation from our perspective where we sit, an earthly perspective. Basically, what he's saying in these first 11 verses that we just read together was... All our activity is pointless. Everything that we do has no point. As I write from the outset, when we have to ask that question, what's the point? Solomon says there isn't one. There isn't one. And he points to nature. He points to our activities. He points to our learning, what we're seeing, what we're hearing. He says there's nothing new. It's all been here before. It doesn't seem to have any pattern or rhythm that makes sense. Even in the, the going down of the sun and the coming up of the sun again, even of the, the cyclic winds that occur throughout the various seasons of the year, there are patterns there, but, but he says they don't, they, they don't make any sense. They have no point. Verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. There's a tiredness that occurs in life, isn't there? And maybe you've felt that. Where, where you seem to be going through the same routines of life, whatever they may be. Maybe they're work or family or, or maybe they're patterns of sin or maybe they're, they're victories and joys. But there's, there seems to be these sort of rhythms and patterns of life. And, and we can get to that point where we just think, We're so weary of this. Of course, there are certain occasions in life, maybe maybe even the last three months or so, of the the isolation that comes about by sort of worldwide uh, threats of sickness and disease, a pandemic. I've heard people just going, we just have felt like we're in jail, right? There's this sort of sense of being locked down from our, our, our patterns of life that we used to have. And... And all of a sudden there's this keen sense of weariness. Where even though we're not going anywhere, 
where even though it's been difficult for us to sort of engage with the activities that we used to, and some might say, well, what a great opportunity for rest, and yet so many people are saying, I feel so weary. I don't think it's just a physical tiredness that they're talking about. There's a, a weariness of life that we start to feel. And this is what Solomon's pointing us to and picking up on it from his life. And he wants us to see it. And he says, listen, all of our activity, it's pointless. This river just keeps flowing. And sometimes when the rains fall heavier, it floods. But it still just washes its way down to the sea. And it will empty itself out, he says, into the ocean. And yet the ocean never fills. There's a wearisome to life as we realize that many of our activities, as we see them from the perspective of earth, are pointless. Let's keep reading, though, from verse 12. He says, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile. A pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I've applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind, for with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. I think he's, what he's, he's trying to say is that I've seen it all. I've chased after wisdom and knowledge. I've seen foolishness. I've seen... He said it doesn't matter. Because none of it satisfies, right? We, we chase after all sorts of things in life and yet none of it satisfies. We pursue all sorts of things that we think will meet some need, and yet it never does. Solomon says that God has given us this miserable task to keep us occupied. I mean, as we start this book in Ecclesiastes, it's a pretty bleak outlook. It sort of drives us towards a depressive state of just wondering, well, what's the point? The reality is, at some point in time in our life, we all ask that. What's the point of all of this? I mean, this beauty, it's just, it's breathtaking. I love, I love exploring and trying to find new places and new views, (laughs) new things of beauty, and yet we continue to chase those, don't we? we? They don't satisfy and, and whether it's the beauty of nature, which is, can be awe-inspiring, and yet if you built your house overlooking this beautiful view, every morning for months you might wake up and just be in awe. But if you lived here for quite some time, 
Well, you'd have visitors coming maybe for a cup of tea and looking out over this view and they would just be like, oh my goodness, this must be so amazing to wake up to every day. And you sort of look out onto it and go, oh yeah, yeah, it's lovely. You see, even the beauty of nature will fail to satisfy long term. Definitely our pursuit of sin, it fails to satisfy. Whatever it is that we're chasing, nothing satisfies. Well, Solomon's going to unpack these big themes for us as we go through the book, the next 12 chapters. And he's going to just hone in on certain parts of life as he goes, whether that's specific pleasures or um, pursuits of particular types of knowledge, relationships. And he's going to unpack them, and we're going to explore those as we go through this series. But before I finish today, I want to flip over to the end of the book. Chapter 12, and just the last from verse 9 down to the end of the chapter. So turn your Bibles there and follow along with me because it's important for us to see this. Otherwise, man, we could just be leaving here just going, well, I'm glad there was a nice view behind, Chris, because that was at least good because the rest of it was just depressing. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 9 says this. Let's read from verse 8. Absolutely futile. There he goes again. Absolutely futile, says the teacher. Everything's futile. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails the sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned. There is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, fear God and keep his commands. Because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Here's where I want to finish, and here's where I want to really point us as we continue to move through this series. You see, this is, this is a book about the futility of life from an earthly perspective. Under the sun just keeps getting repeated all the way through this book, as does the futility that the Christian Standard Bible uses or the vanity that the ESV uses or the meaningless that other translations use. That word vanity or meaningless or futility, it's actually a Hebrew word, um, hebel. It's a bit of a difficult word uh, from what I understand. In fact, I'm really grateful. I have a, a great friend. He's an Old Testament a professor, a scholar. He's written uh, commentaries. He's a, he's a very knowledgeable guy. Russ Meeks, his name. Um, I was listening to something that he was talking about just recently, actually, and he brought out a really, I think, helpful way to understand this particular word, hebel, that we get the word futile or meaningless or vanity from. It's interesting that the word hebel is 
also the, the name of Abel. Remember, we were speaking about him yesterday. Cain and Abel. There's a sense that all of this around us, the pursuit of all the things that we want, yeah, they, they don't satisfy and they don't, um, they don't give us pleasure like we think that they should. They're pointless. That's what we saw in chapter 1. But, but there's also another sense that we're going to see in the book of Ecclesiastes where there's also a sort of injustice in this world where, just like we were saying yesterday, good, good people like Abel, they, uh, they sometimes don't work out the way that we think they should. Abel was righteous before God and did the right thing and yet he was slain and his brother Cain, well, he dishonored God in his sacrifice and yet he lived a long and prosperous life. And we think, how, how does that satisfy? How do we make sense of that? This book is going to be pointing us to the fact that we will never find satisfaction in this world. It's never going to work out the way that we think it should all the time. In fact, we need to look beyond this world and we need to look to the shepherd. Did you see that phrase in chapter 12 and verse 11? The sayings are given by one shepherd. That phrase, one shepherd, is only used three other times in the entire Bible. And every single time that it's used, it's used in reference to the Messiah. It's used in reference to looking to the great shepherd who would come and restore and rebuild and fulfill. It's pointing to Jesus. The book of Ecclesiastes is telling us we will find no sense in this world until we find our sense and satisfaction in Jesus. These might be the wise observations of Solomon. But he says the sayings are given by one shepherd. This is something that Jesus wants us to hear. This is something that the great shepherd wants to use to direct us. That's why Solomon was saying that they're, they're like cattle prods. If you want the cattle to move in a certain direction, sometimes you need to give them a bit of a prod. Back in the old days, there would have been a sharp stick into the ribs to make them move in the other direction. These days, they use, uh, well, little electric probes. Give them a bit of a jolt and they'll run the other direction. These sayings are meant to do that for us. They're meant to jolt us out of a sense of slumber that we can live in this life with. Finding and searching, looking for satisfaction meaning and Solomon's going to tell us Jesus is going to tell us you're not going to find it unless you find it in me I'm looking forward to unpacking this book it's a message I need to hear I'm sure it's a message you need to hear I think I'll need to sit for a while have a good day